This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Mitchell Walker, and when I'm not teaching people how to find hidden money, I'm out stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today the gloves are off because we're bringing you the heavyweight championship team of podcast to talk salaries. How do you not determine how much to ask your boss for? We'll get in the ring on that topic with the woman behind Your Richest Life Planning, Certified Financial Planner, Katie Brewer. Plus, from this podcast, OG, and from LenPenzo.com, it's Mike Tyson. (laughs) I've been playing too much Punch-Out, it's just Len Penzo. Plus, we're dropping the fin from our Friday FinTech segment to talk about health tech again with the guy who's going to help us stay healthy through the holidays, from MetPro, we welcome Angelo Poli. Of course, we'll save time to take a magnify money call and serve up some of my boxing-themed trivia. And now, a guy who's on eight of a ten count right now, Joe Salcihai. I sometimes feel like it, but not tonight. I'm back up off the mat. We're ready to go. Welcome, everybody, back to another Friday here to help you usher in your weekend. I'm Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me, a man who is ready for a 10 count of a weekend. I don't don't even know what that means. Mr. OG. What is happening? It's uh, almost Thanksgiving week. Can you believe that? I can, and I'm ready for it. I am so ready for it. I was... Ready to kiss you guys goodbye. (laughs) I was telling my coach this morning, I said, I'm having trouble focusing because we're so close to, uh, to the break, but we've got some great people here with us. OG who can help us focus. First of all, deep under Los Angeles in his bunker, poking his head out in this beautiful fall weather. It's Mr. Lempenzo. Happy Thanksgiving, Joe. Well, it's a, it's a week at a time, but I'm not going to see you next week. We have a special Black Friday show. We don't do the round table. So happy Thanksgiving to you. Now you get yes. all the you get all the penzos together and talk about gold as currency and the gloom and doom that's right around the corner. The doom and gloom I try to keep out. But yes, the gold is money thing. Yes, I absolutely have that conversation with everyone. And most of them roll their eyes at me and tell me to put my tinfoil hat back on. Don't they say that if you if you want to be left alone on Thanksgiving, just say just say what's the joke last year, OG? You just say, "Hey, Grandpa, what do you think about Donald Trump?" and leave the oh, room. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and there you go. Hey, and 
Hey, you got to watch my family on that too, because we're going to stay completely away from that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. Just say, what do you think? (laughs) And walk away. I was going to say, that's how you don't have to buy Christmas presents for anybody. (laughs) You just go, hey, so about the impeachment hearings. (laughs) Bam, you're uninvited from everything. And mission accomplished. Money hack. Hashtag Christmas money hacks. (laughs) There, There it is. Just just get involved. If that doesn't work, go with religion next. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Just perfect, fantastic way to save some cash and uh, and also to burn friends on Facebook. So get rid of all those annoying people. And right across town from you, OG, we've got the one, the only. She's back. We were just saying she's back, I think, for the 146th time on this show. From Your Richest Life Planning, it's our friend, certified financial planner, Katie Brewer's back. Hello, hello. Saving the show again. Thank you so much. That's what I'm here for is uh, saving the show, CFB Katie Brewer. <laughs> that is. That's how she introduces herself to strangers. I'm about to put it on my website. It's going up like right now. So there's so much pressure on you. Does that ever, you know, having to save the show and all that, does that make you ever sweat, Katie? Nah. No? No, it's not work if you love it. I mean, it's like, okay, go on the air and hang out with some cool people to talk about finance. I'm like, I love all these things. That's so fun being a nerd. But for those people that do sweat this out, today's show is supported by Native. Native makes safe, simple, effective products that people use in the bathroom every day with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. For 20% off your first purchase, Katie, visit nativedeodorant.com and enter promo code SB during checkout. That's the gift we give you in the green room. We give you the and 20% yeah. off code. Yeah, that's what every woman wants to hear is that they're getting free deodorant. <laughs> well, 20% off. We're not giving you free deodorant. <laughs> no, not free, not even free. <laughs> no, native.com forward slash SB and you get 20% off. That's how you do it. And also thanks to QuickBook for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Save time and money when you use Intuit QuickBooks for your financial management needs. You can save an average of six Benjamins a year, Len, $600 by paying your employees with Intuit QuickBooks payroll. Check it out today at intuit.me slash SB. Good times. Good times here in the basement. We've got Katie, we've got Len, we got OG. Let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Well, this is this is pretty interesting, the way not to look at your salary. Here helping us with this week's piece, introducing it, and with the dramatic reading from the Beyond the Dollar podcast, it's our friend Sarah Lee Kane. Hi, I'm Sarah Lee Kane from Beyond the Dollar, and this is how not to determine your salary from the blog Bitches Get Riches by Kitty. Last week, I was chatting with a rad young lady who's about to start her final semester of college. When the subject of careers and negotiation came up, I couldn't contain my enthusiasm. Teaching young people how to negotiate their salaries is what I write down on the religion line on surveys. I asked what salary range she was asking for, and she quickly answered $37,000. It struck me as an unusual number for two reasons. First, it seemed mighty low. Many people live happy, stable lives on as much or less. But she was a high-achieving college student entering a STEM field in one of the 10 most expensive American cities. I expected double or triple that amount. Second, what's with the non-round number? Usually when people talk about hypothetical large numbers, they do so in intervals of fives and tens. 
It's why the John Bonnet ransom note haunts us all to this day. And by us, I mean rubberneckers who are live in the 90s and or true crime nerds. Surely everyone belongs in one of those demographics. So I dug deeper. Why that number? She explained that she sat down with a notebook and wrote down all the expenses she might have in a given month. Rent, internet, groceries, student loans, car insurance. I added it all up, multiplied by 12, added 10% for savings. It came out to $36,200, so I rounded up just to be safe. My nurturing altruism joined forces with my baser capitalist instincts to manifest a camera to do a dolly zoom on my horrified face. Starting with your personal budget and working backward. Nothing this girl said was wrong or foolish. I made a very similar calculation to determine my first salary. Lots of young people do. At my first corporate job, I learned that the only girl on the team younger than me was planning to ask for a raise. I volunteered to pretend to be our boss, Tina, and let her practice her pitch on me. The second slide she pulled up, after a title card, was a spreadsheet detailing her personal budget, showing that her current salary didn't meet her needs. I didn't know as much then as I do now, but I knew enough to do a spit take, then scream, shoot her, shoot her, until the presentation was safely scrapped in the recycling bin. To be clear, your personal budget is of no interest to your employer. They don't want to know about it, and you don't want to tell them about it. Never involve them in it. It's literally not their business. Yet so many young people seem to base salary negotiations around their personal budget. I spent daily ablutions contemplating why this would be. Why is this the method young people turn to for negotiating a salary? The answer is actually pretty obvious. We're doing it correctly, correctly, if you assume it's a math word problem. And it must be, right? There are numbers involved. Young people don't know how much employers are willing to pay them, but they do know how much money they need for rent and groceries. So we do what we've been taught to do. Work backwards to solve for X, where X equals the amount of money you need to eat food and not die. So Katie, you're our guest. I see people do this all the time. Woman boxes herself in by saying $37,000 is what I want. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I went, are you kidding? That's it? Yep. I found the article really interesting. And I I find that women um, that I work with sometimes do the same thing where they think, okay, well, this is the minimum that I would accept. And so that's what I'm going to ask for. And they don't leave any room for wiggle room. So if you're in negotiation and you ask for the minimum that you would accept, that you're not actually negotiating. <laughs> I think that was mainly the point of the article. Yeah. Well, and you know, you know why people do this, Len? Obviously, I think anyway, it's because we think we're not going to get the job if we're not the lowest paid person, the person yeah, that asked for the least. Well, you know, that can, <laughs> yeah, lowballing yourself is never a good idea. And I don't know if I'm going to ruin this right out the bat, but honestly, I wouldn't give any price ever. I would make the person who's offering the job give me their price first because you negotiating from a point of weakness when you start off. You let them – they want you. You let them offer you a salary, and then you can start the negotiations. Yeah, but there are lots of recruiters though, Len. I've heard from listeners and from friends who are onto that, and they will they will not move forward until you give them a number. What do you do in that case? 
Well, in that case, I would certainly wouldn't lowball. I would say now it's a lot easier when you've been employed for a while. So sure. you kind of get a, a better feel for what you're worth, right? It is hard when you're first starting out to know exactly what your worth is. This article gives lots of good examples of what you can do to kind of educate yourself on what a starting salary would be. For example, going to Glassdoor, you can go to salary.com, something like that, just to get a ballpark figure. If you're going to do that, though, I would take that number and maybe bump it up 10%. If they really want you and, and you're in a competitive field, they're going to counteroffer. Worst thing they're going to do is they're going to they're either going to say, ah, it's a little high. We were, you know, maybe, uh, you know, we'll come back offer you 5% less, and then you can make your decision. But always kind of shoot a little high. I, I would never lowball yourself because you might get exactly what you right, asked for. Exactly. Because <laughs> this woman earns 37000 you think, holy, oh boy. <laughs> exactly. That's not great. Uh, oh, gee, this is why I think, uh, you know, you talk a lot about doing your homework. He talked about Glassdoor. I mean, you got to walk in with more than just your smile. You got to walk in, I would think, with some facts and figures. Well, just about anything I walk into with a smile is going to be well well received. But I know what you mean. I think this is a little bit from a perspective of how things are socially, how we keep all of that information so private. And I know that there's more and more of a push toward getting that information out there, like not being ashamed of what your salary is, but also not completely hiding it either, because that helps other people as well. As you're learning about new careers or you're learning about the next level of jobs. I was thinking as I was reading through this of a situation that my wife was in. She worked in a really highly technical field for a long time and she worked and she got her good three, five percent pay raise every year. And another company had a similar position with a little bit different job title, but it was going to be a little bit of a promotion for her. So she applied and, and got the job offer and the, and the rate was 25% higher than what her salary was before. She worked there for a year, didn't really like it, wanted to go back to her old company. They took her and her old then now new boss said, Hey, why did you leave? And she said, well, you know, I gotta be honest, they paid me a whole bunch more money. And she says, Oh, if, or he said, if you would have just asked, I, I would have paid that. And so it's a combination of, you know, knowing what's really out there, like using all those tools, Glassdoor and whatever else, knowing what the competitive landscape is. Nowadays, it's hard to find good people. It's, I mean, unemployment's really low. And if you're in a technical field, like in the example that they gave in this article, you have a lot more leverage. I want to talk a little bit here, Katie, if you don't mind, about the numbers. This woman is doing the numbers on what she needs to live. And I feel like a lot of people get the numbers wrong. Like as an example, when we talk about Uber and Lyft, you can make some money doing Uber and Lyft, but people don't think about car depreciation. They don't think about car maintenance, all these things that factor in only from time to time. And before they realize that and do that math, they've already worked for Uber for a good long time and they realize that they've largely been spinning their wheels. Right. Going in with I feel like this is the minimum I need to live on. And then asking for that is just, honestly, you're always going to be miserable doing that because A, you're going to ask for less than you're worth. And B, you're always going to be living on exactly what you have. So, you know, it's best to find out like what is going to make you not shoot yourself in the foot, honestly, for the rest of your career. Because if you come in with a lot lower salary and you work there for say two or three years and you've kind of like shelved yourself into you know, you're a below average earner. So you don't want to do that anywhere in your career. But if you, I mean, if you're adding up what it takes to be financially independent, you think that you'd throw 
you know, instead of this 37,000, throw another 12 to 15,000 on that just to be able to save to, to not have to, you know what I mean? Initially, you're going to save more money. You're going to come up with a higher number because of the money to save. If you think about someday not having to work. I will say I was very proud that this lady who they were talking about was responsible enough to add 10% on for savings. (laughs) So even with her $37,000 salary that she was asking for, she did put in there that that included a 10% savings, which is actually something that a lot of 20-something-year-olds, it's not even in their head at all. It's not on their radar to think about savings that early. So I will say, I mean, 10%, probably not enough, but hey, at least she was thinking about savings being a young 20-something-year-old. I'm wondering this. You know, I watch a lot of these restaurant shows, and these guys like Gordon Ramsay or uh, Robert Irwin, they go in and they help these restaurateurs, and they use this number like 30% of the restaurant operating budget is food cost, right? 30% is the number that they often use. What if her $37,000, that's like her living costs? You know what I mean? But that's only 30% of what she asks for. Then she raises that number because I feel like restaurateurs or businesses get this right all the time and individuals don't bake in like what it takes to succeed. I don't know. Len, what do you think? Yeah, well, (laughs) it's a fine line, Joe. You got to be careful here, right? I mean, you can't, if you ask for too much, though, they might just dismiss you right out of hand. But I mean, if you just got to be careful. It's, it helps to do your homework ahead of time. I get what you're saying. The more information you have, the closer you can get to the magic number. Now, let me say this. Let's say you asked for $37,000 and you found out, oh, you, you took the job and you're like, oh, great. You know, I, I really, all my peers are making $45,000 now, 44000 You have options, okay? You can make it up. It's going to take you a year but you can be a high performer and start getting recognized and that will, you can close the gap really quickly within a year or two. You can close the gap. By, and if you're a really good performer, what you know, are you saying? You can, are you saying that like at your review to push for big raises then? Yes, to absolutely push for big raises. And of course we've talked about this before too. You don't just wait till the review to ask for the raise. What, what you've got to do is as soon as you're hired, you've asked 37,000, you've realized within a few weeks you've made a mistake or a month that you, you're, you're low-balled, set your goals, uh, make them stretch goals, do what you're set out to do, and then when review time comes, you show your boss. You say, here's what I did, here are the goals, I surpassed the goals, and here's why I am worth, because now you know a little bit more about what you should be making. Here's why I am worth what my peers are making now and why I thought I was, you know, I'm being underpaid. And you make your case that way. You know, it's not the end of the world. Salaries are... <laughs> it's hard, right? It's really difficult to nail, especially when you're first starting out. But over time, you will things will work out if you work hard and you set your goals, you document, and you make your case to your boss at review time. Well, I think you also have to remember that um, a 10% increase to you, right? If you're at that 40,000 level and you're like, oh man, it would really be great if I got 10% more, that would be 44,000 can be the difference between saving a whole bunch of money or not, or barely having your head above water or not. But if you're working for any company that's of any size, $4,000 is such a low rounding error. It's not even like a line item on the expense sheet. And so we get worked up. We have to remember that the numbers that we're talking about are impactful in our lives, 
but maybe not impactful if you work for, you know, Pfizer or something. They're like four thousand four thousand. Yeah, okay, fine. You can have four thousand, whatever. Like just keep working, you know. And we're thinking, oh gosh, we put a lot of energy into it. But like you said, Len, if you've documented here's what I've done to be successful, or here's what I've done to surpass the things that you set out for me. Also, you've got documentation around what your peers are making. You just swing for the fences. What's the worst they say? No. And then you exactly. go work for a lily or something instead. Exactly. <laughs> and, like, and, and look, and when you ask for, if you're a good performer, and I'm talking this from, from myself, from, uh, you know, in the business I've been in for a while and I'm dealing with this kind of stuff. If you ask for a raise and you're a high performer and the company does not come through, and that happens sometimes because different departments have different budgets and there's only so much money to go around. They have to spread it out amongst their employees. You've asked for it. You didn't get it. Okay, go off, start looking for another job and then you get another offer and then you can come back to your boss and say, look, you know, I asked for a raise. You didn't give me what I thought I was worth. I've now talked. I know I have an offer in hand from this other company. Here's what they're offering me or here's what I need for you to stay. It seems to me, though, Len, if you play that game, you can't stay. No, that's not true. Because that's not true. Yeah, but unless you're bluffing, which I've actually (laughs) oh, (laughs) that has happened at my work actually. I and I knew this guy; he was a buddy of mine, (laughs) and he told me he thought he was getting screwed on his salary increases every. So he went in with his boss. He said, "I got an offer, and if you don't pay me this, I'm out of here." And the boss said, "Go ahead, see ya." (laughs) Wow. Yes. So you don't bluff. No, that's but how it, to not negotiate. Huh? No. Yeah. <laughs> negotiate from a position of strength, not weakness, right? Well, correct. Yeah. Well, and this guy, and I'll be honest, he, he was not a high performer. So the boss really didn't care. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But he thought he could pull a fast one. But I've also heard that in a, in a lot of companies, if you start constantly going looking at other places and come back and say, match it, match it, or I leave you end up being the person who your boss thinks is not fully invested in the company anymore. Like the second something goes wrong, they want to get rid of you because your head's not even there anyway. Your head's on, where can well, I get more you know, money someplace it's else? It's business. It's business, right? It, it, seriously, you have to kind of divorce. It's business. And if you are worth it, the company will pay you. And if the company thinks you're not worth it, you're not going to get paid. You keep coming back. Maybe they'll give you a raise, you know, the raise you ask for extra and then you come back a year later and ask for another super duper raise that, you know, at some point the company's going to say, no, they're, it's just business. You know, it's just negotiate. They're not going to fire you for asking for more money. If you're worth it, they'll pay you. If you're not worth it, they won't pay, give you the extra money. And then you can go off and look. It's business. Well, Katie, people, we see these stats all the time, right? People never ask for a raise. Businesses will give you raise. I think what the number was high, like two thirds of businesses will give you raise if you just ask. People never ask. Yeah, people come to you, I'm sure, all the time and they say, how can I cut expenses, right? Everybody's obsessed with cutting expenses. Why don't people spend more time looking for raises? I mean, it's it's uncomfortable and I'm going to completely generalize, but I work with a lot of women and so I've found it to be true that women don't like asking. They just don't like asking. They feel like it's uncomfortable. They feel like it's confrontation. They feel like they're going to be really let down if it doesn't happen. And I, I kind of feel like actually rehearsing or role-playing can really, really help with that. I know that sounds funny. It's kind of like, no. okay, well, you know, <laughs> kumbaya, get together with your best friend and have them just run through the worst case scenario with you. But if you do that, you're like, well, the worst case scenario is really not that bad. 
I guess I might as well. <laughs> I might as well do it. I think that's huge advice. I found when I've done that, going into any situation, no matter what it is, it's going to be contentious if I practice it a few times. It's never as bad as it was in the practice. Or it is, and then you just <laughs> right. laugh and you walk away and you go, well, I'm, that's a story I'm going to tell someday. That's true. Luckily, I've never had it, had it that bad. <laughs> Well, just a second, we'll have everybody's aha. But if you're ever listening to the show and you go, man, that stinks about something. Maybe you've been messing something up. Maybe you aren't getting your financial act together and you think, wow, that absolutely stinks. Well, then maybe you need native. Yeah, that probably isn't the segue. I was looking for, but close enough. Native makes safe, simple, effective products people use in the bathroom every day with trusted ingredients and trusted performance. It can hang with you whether you're sweating out a podcast, doing your workout, you're living the busy mom life, working a 16-hour day. It has fewer, simpler ingredients so you know everything that's in the deodorant. It's safe and effective. It comes in a wide variety of enticing scents for men and women. And Native releases new limited edition seasonal scents all year long. The classic ones, though, are coconut and vanilla. That's their most popular. Uh, lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, eucalyptus and mint. Try them all. Mix and match. Native offers free returns and exchanges in the USA. This would be a good stocking stuffer. Don't you guys think? This would be good stuff. You could subscribe and save 17%. You'll save two bucks a stick and have Native conveniently delivered to your door every one, two, three, or four months. I think that's probably the economical way to do it. I use the eucalyptus and mint. That's my favorite, but I'll tell you what's cool. For people that have sensitivities, they also have an unscented formula and a baking soda-free formula for those people. By the way, you've heard a lot about this. Native has no aluminum in it. It's safe. It's effective. There's over 7,000 five-star reviews. They've been featured all over the place. Today's show, Women's Health, L, Good Morning America, Pop Sugar, and many, many more. I'm a big fan of only using things on my body. And like we're about to talk about with our friend Angelo Poli here in a second, and in my body that are clean ingredients, it makes life so, so much simpler and frankly, makes me feel better. So you can get 20% off your first purchase by visiting nativedeodorant.com and entering promo code SB during checkout. That's 20% off your first purchase by going to nativedeodorant.com and entering promo code SB at checkout. Uh, Len, what's your takeaway from this piece? Don't lowball yourself. Don't be afraid to ask for a raise and get as much information as you can before you go in. Oh, and the most important thing, document all year long, all of your accomplishments and always at the beginning of the year, set stretch goals for yourself. So you have something that when you go into your boss and ask for a raise, it's it's a lot harder for them to say no. Does the boss know the stretch goals ahead of time too, or just you? No, you should do it. You should do it ahead of time. So let's say January rolls around. You've set up the stretch goals and you ask your boss, you can ask your boss to, and, and it really, when you ask the boss to give you the stretch goals, you're really putting them on a spot because they're the ones that set the stretch goals. And then when the year rolls around you and you've met those stretch goals, it's a lot harder for them to say, oh yeah, you're right. I can't give you what you're asking for. You did meet the stretch goals. Yep. So yeah, let the boss find your stretch goals. That's fantastic. OG, what's your takeaway from the piece? Ask and you shall receive. I mean, at the end of the day. There's no harm in just picking a number. I mean, we go through this as business owners. You don't get what you don't ask for. And at the end of the day, uh, if you have some idea of kind of what the market competitive analysis is, so to speak, 
you know, everybody be happy. So Katie, you're the guest of honor. What's uh, you get the last word here. All right. Yay. <laughs> Don't lowball yourself. Don't come in with an extremely high number either. I mean, really my takeaway is do your research, know what you're asking for, make sure you actually rehearse beforehand so that you're prepared. And then as Lynn said, make sure that you're actually proving your worth, but also documenting your worth so that you can ask for raises over time. Well, this is normally where we do our Friday FinTech segment, but we had a guest on in October, Angelo Poli from uh, MetPro, and he's such great radio and health is so important to your overall well-being that I think we're going to make this a recurring segment with, with Angelo. We got so many questions. I was surprised, frankly, how many questions we got for him and they were all fantastic. So what's a better time to have Angelo on than when you're going to all these get-togethers starting up, uh, really cranking up next week for the rest of the year? Well, no matter whether you're going to get-togethers or not, Angelo Poli is the CEO and uh, co-founder of MetPro, a company that's been a sponsor of the show for quite a while, Metabolic Profiling, and they're a company that I use, and Angelo has worked with a lot of a lot of uh, big names out there, celebrities, CEOs, people that want to get ahead and frankly, people that don't have a lot of time and, and need help getting where they're getting where they're going. So today he's going to help us all get where we're going. Let's say hello to Angela Poli coming back down to the basement. And we haven't talked to this guy in a month, but it feels like he was here yesterday. Angelo Poli, back with us. How are you, man? I am great. Love being back in the basement. And we love having you here. A, it's so different than what we talk about most of the time, but also I've never met anybody with the enthusiasm for health and fitness that you have. Like the, the, on a scale of one to 10, I'd say you're like a 17. <laughs> Well, that's the that's the only way this works because I answer the same questions quite a few times every day, but I love it. I use different inflection each time to spice it up. And just to um, keep yourself entertained. That's it. Absolutely. And bringing us along. Before we get to the main questions, and I don't even know if you can answer this, and I don't mean to put you on the spotlight. Are you but allowed you're to, going to, right? Yeah, but I, but I am going to. That's, somebody <laughs> said that about me in our Facebook group the other day. They're like, Joe always says, not to interrupt you, but... Right. But I am going to anyway. Are you allowed to say any of the names of some? Because we talk all the time about how you and your team, you guys work with celebrities. You work with some CEOs. Are there any of those people that have given you permission to say who they are? Basically, the ones that are common knowledge that have been, you know, I, I had the privilege of getting to work with Aaron Rodgers for a number of years. He's absolutely phenomenal athlete, phenomenal person. And it was just a highlight of my career getting to work with him. So my clients that have, you know, referenced our work together, that was me personally a few years back working yeah. with him. And so, you know, our work together has been featured in Men's Health and ESPN and, you know, Sports Hills and on and on. So stuff like that isn't, but actually I do have a number of clients that I can reference their stories and, and aggregated declassified data 
But no, we are very locked down about that sort of thing. And the type of clientele that we do get sometimes will actually ask us specifically about our privacy policies. And, th- and that's something that's very important. And we have always been very good about, you know, keeping keeping people's information private. So there you go. Kind of some, somewhere yes. in between. But here, I, I'll tell you this. We've worked with people that are on uh, a lot of common sitcoms, uh, Parks and Rec, The Office. We've worked people, not leads, but have been on a lot of uh, current TV shows, several that are on air right now, probably some that you may have watched last night. Working with people who need to change their body for different roles, those are always a blast. But anyhow. Yeah, but people have to gain weight for one role and then lose a bunch of weight quickly and yeah, look different. I had a gal that I worked with. She was going on that show called uh, Naked and Afraid on, I think it's the History Channel, I'm not sure. But basically, it's one of those, you're going to go and be starving in the wilderness for X amount of days. She actually hired me to slow her metabolism, not speed it up. She wanted us to slow it down so that way she could tolerate those several weeks with minimal food. That was an adventure and a blast. I was just saying, that's an incredible challenge for you. It's like, giddy Uh up, man. That's great. (laughs) Well, you've been nice enough to answer questions for us in the past. For people that don't know, Angela has been on a couple times answering your health questions. You know, we're getting to that time of year where you end up in a situation, whether you're out at a gathering, whatever, and we're up to what this last six weeks of the year is notorious. Everybody gains weight because you've got great food all around you, no matter where you're at, Angelo. So great timing here. Uh, just generally, before we get to people's question, how do you eat right when you're out on the road more often than normal, whether it's in one of these big gatherings or you're, you know, Social. a road warrior? Yeah. yeah, that's it. This is the time. This isn't the time of the year that it becomes challenging. OK, so I'm going to kind of do a bullets of some highlights, simple tips. Bring your own alcohol. Instead of bring your own beer, don't bring beer, bring your own alcohol and here's why. If you go to someone's house, social event, you never want to show up empty handed anyway, right? The reason I say bring your own alcohol is because there is a massive discrepancy in how destructive different alcohol types will be, particularly if your goal is weight loss. So the best, now this isn't a health chart here, but the best from a weight loss perspective is generally going to be your hard alcohols, particularly your clear hard alcohols, but basically any hard alcohol, you're going to have a lot less of it and it's going to not be as detrimental. If you mix that with a non-calorie containing beverage, the impact of that, if you don't take it to an extreme, is going to be very modest. Now, the appetite that ensues after you have to watch out for, Mm. but that's not going to impact you. Then after that is going to be like your wines. And that's a pretty big jump. Wine, champagnes are going to be more impactful than a hard alcohol. Then from there, you go to your beers. Now you're in the not good category. Now, when I say not good, they taste great. (laughs) What we're talking about is the body fat, not so good. And then the absolute worst of the worst, and most people just don't realize this, mixed drinks that contain fruit juices or soda with calories and sugar, plus the alcohol, um, margaritas are the trifecta 
of bloating, unfortunately, because you're getting the sugar, you're getting the alcohol, and then you're getting the salt. You are guaranteed to wake up the next day and not be able to get your rings off. <laughs> uh, well, and I'm thinking the daiquiri can't be that far behind. Correct. So if you bring your own to an event, then at least it's not going to be devastating if there is alcohol involved. Same principle. I won't go into a diatribe about it. Same principle with food. The issue isn't that you have to go to an event or someone's house or an occasion that only has healthy options. That's not the idea. There's going to be junk food and unhealthy options everywhere. You just want to avoid a scenario where there is no healthy options. So if you don't know if there's going to be a healthy option, bring one. And at least one item on the menu is going to be good. So if you do have to eat some of the others, you'll have at least something to get a double portion of. Another principle, eat twice, but eat well. So here's what that means. I'm going to go to an event. I know there's not going to be anything good on the menu. Eat dinner before you go. Mm. Don't eat dinner and then not eat. Eat dinner before you go. Then when you show up, you can have a second dinner. But you're not hungry. You have willpower. Your blood sugar isn't low. You're not craving. You're going to be able to be more selective. You're going to be able to exercise portion control, and it won't be as devastating versus the exact wrong strategy. And that is, well, I know I'm having pizza tonight with the guys, so I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to eat a light lunch. Don't do that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're going to show up and you're going to eat three times as much pizza. You're going to be so hungry. It's interesting you say that, by the way, not about pizza, but back to eating before you go. Because Mm -hmm. uh, last year in uh, December, you know, a lot of companies around this time of year, they have their company gatherings. And we were talking about surviving those. And she actually said, eat before you go. But for another reason. Because you're in this social Trying to save money on the platters. You know, didn't want to have this. <laughs> nope, not that one. That's a, that's a second one. But uh, but this one was you're able to be more social when you're not worried about shoving your face full of food. You can. Oh, that's a great point. You, you can then actually talk to other people too. So there's a double thing going on. Like you said, your blood sugar's not lower. You're not super hungry, so you're not chowing, and you you kind of are able to show up and be with the people you're with. Let me give you two more tips for the surviving the social season that are a little bit more obscure. So most people don't think about if you have control, go for your typical American dinner house, steakhouse or seafood restaurant versus ethnic food, which is really tough for me because I love all different ethnic foods. I love going to different, you know, sampling different things every time. And it's not that there aren't good options. It's that there's less predictable options if, of course, you're trying to stay strict on a, on a meal plan. Yeah. So an example is one of my favorite food. I love Chinese food. Love mm. it. But I, it's tough for me to tell my clients, go and get the broccoli beef because the broccoli beef is different at every Chinese restaurant you go to. Their recipe is different. The sauce is different. I don't really know what they're going to get. Whereas if you go and you order a steak, a filet and grilled asparagus, it doesn't matter what restaurant you're at. I know exactly what you're going to get. You're going to get a steak and grilled asparagus. Seafood works great. So you're not always going to be able to control that. But if you can emphasize those type of restaurants, at least a little bit more frequently. And then one last tip is 
carry a big old apple. And here's why. One of the easiest diet strategies is to control your carb consumption. So you can always go out to dinner and get protein and vegetables and salad. It's hard to predictably order a good carb. Like maybe they'll have Mm. a good carb. Maybe it's just going to be the bread on the table with the butter. Not so good. So if you carry a big old apple with you, you can literally on your way to the restaurant, eat your apple. There's your carb. And then when you go, you can just order low carb protein and vegetables. It's a little trick that helps when you're eating out because I've had lots of people say, well, if I'm trying to stay healthy, does that mean never eat out? No, that's not what it means unless you're planning on never eating out the rest of your life. It means learn how to eat out effectively and order well. Yeah. And I bet it gets easier over time then. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we do have time for one question off of our list. By the way, we got this list from our Facebook group. So if you're not in our Facebook group, head to Stacky Benjamin's basement inside Facebook and uh, Gertrude will ask you a few questions and then uh, you can join us and get your fill of bad dad jokes and, and money advice too. <laughs> but Philip asks in the group, Angelo, he asks you, he says, he's really looking forward to this discussion, by the way. He says, uh, as somebody who's in their young 30s, I luckily haven't had to think about my health much, but maybe I should, question mark. What are some things to do or work on when you, quote, feel healthy so later in life I don't have a wish I would have started when I was younger? Like investing, he says, but for health. So I love it. Maintenance from the beginning, I guess, is his question. And I love that he's in his young 30s, uh, not his old 30s, because when I was in my early 30s, I think I was still in my old 30s. Um, (laughs) So I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story on this one. So this actually makes me think about the probably two phone calls I get a week from parents that are dealing with a not so uncommon scenario. And that is, I have two children, both young. But for some reason, one of my children seems to have a propensity to put on weight easier than the other child. Hmm. What do I do? This obviously is a much bigger conversation, but here's the the take-home principle. Often we're looking for, oh, I want this diet or let me me help my child out with this strategy or that strategy. We're going to eat this way for two or three weeks. And I always try and reason with the parents and I say, Suppose this summer we go on a diet, we do a bunch of exercise, and your son or your daughter loses 15 pounds. What did that do for them 10 years from now, even five years from now? What change did this one summer make? It really, it, did, it doesn't make any change. In fact, six months later, it didn't make any change. But if you can instill in your child a passion for healthy eating, a passion for living an active lifestyle, and back to that kind of priority system of those values being at that top of the hierarchy as a family culture and for entrepreneurs, for investors as a personal culture, it's going to be so much easier to adopt those habits now because I see it all the time. Guys, call me. Hey, I, I've had a successful career. I just, you know, uh, sold my company. Now I'm just an advisor on the board. But here's the problem: I'm I'm 54. I'm 55. 
and I've got, and then the list comes, this health problem, that health problem, I'm 50 pounds overweight, my doctor says I need to. And, and it's true, an ounce of prevention is worth the pound of cure. So start now, adopt an active lifestyle, and make it a point to be a food snob. I, I know it sounds funny. Be a food snob. If I, and, and I mean this, and I don't mean be a snob. Don't be a snob about it. Sure. But if you are ever going to insist on something being healthy uh, in your life, putting something – think about what you're putting into your body. It's okay to be that guy that is – or that woman who is just insistent that um, – they have something that's nourishing to their body and start looking at the quality of the food because it's so easy, especially for people in their young 30s or young 20s or whatever. Because, I mean, I got lots of friends that can pound cheeseburgers and fries and they got washboard abs. So it's hard to, you know, <laughs> draw that direct correlation. Yeah. But still doing the same thing to your insides. So if you can establish the, that value system early on, you're going to do good. It's funny because, you know, he draws uh, a connection to investing and invest early and you're more likely to keep investing. It's the same thing with a budget. I mean, same thing with your body. You want me to amortize, amortize <laughs> the, uh, the expense chart as you get older and what you're going to pay for your first doctor visit and your first hospital visit and your first stint in your heart and your first diabetes treatment? I mean, it's going to be ugly. So, you know, it, it is your 401k. That's right. <laughs> Take care of your health. Compounding interest on that one, Philip. Uh, thanks, Philip, for the question. If you've got questions for Angelo, well, uh, we, we got to keep doing this, man. We, we have Let's to keep. We have to keep doing this. We've got like fifty more questions for you, but we're out of time today. By the way, Angelo has been nice enough to uh, give all Stacky Benjamin's listeners a complimentary metabolic profiling assessment. We've talked about those a bajillion times here on the show and a 30 minute consultation with an expert from MetPro. If you just go to metpro.co forward slash SB Angelo, man, thanks a ton for helping us with good habits. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey there, five fighters. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you're listening to my trivia, but you knew that. You know, Joe's mom and I have been playing a lot of punch out lately, and for the life of me, I can't beat Mike Tyson. The guy's invincible. I decided to look online for some cheats, uh, I mean advice, and did you know that this Mike Tyson character is based on real live ear-eating boxer? news to me. So uh, I did find some interesting things out about the dude, though. Chief among them is that he could get a knockout just as quick in real life as he can in the game. Check out today's trivia question. In Mike Tyson's epic 1988 championship fight against Michael Spinks, how many seconds, yes, seconds, people, did it take for Tyson to win the bout? I'll be back with your answer right after this. All right. We had this uh, question specifically for Katie because I know what a big boxing fan she is. Huge. Uh, yes. yes. Ja huge, huge boxing fan. The family is always like, Katie, come back, please. The kids are like, mom, stop watching boxing. We need to eat dinner. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, the score for Katie and everyone else, Len is leading with 12. Jacob 
it knocked it out of the park last week uh, on your behalf, OG, and was only, that was the third time this year we've guessed it right on the number. So no pressure, Katie, but Jacob Wade hit it right on the number. Just saying. <laughs> so you have 11, Paul has got 10. So Katie, you get to go last. You get to decide last. Uh, All right. Or, or excuse me. You get to decide. What am I t- talking about? You get to decide first if you no, want to go first in the Joe, middle or last. That's the wrong way. You want to, you get to decide if you want to go first in the middle go, or last. You get to decide whether or not you want to go first. Oh, yeah. I decide to not go first. Yes. You want to go in the middle then or last? It doesn't matter. Let's, I'll go last. <laughs> there you go. Nice job. Uh, OG. That was how to negotiate right middle. there. OG goes in the middle. So, shocker, Len, you've got to start off the shindig. How many seconds did it take uh, Mr. Tyson to knock out Spinks? Seconds. That's, seconds. That's what Doug said. How many seconds? Does that does that mean he knocked him out in the first round? He is that t- what I'm assuming? I, the question is seconds. I mean, if he knocked him out in the fifteenth round, that means I have to do a lot of math. Let's see how many. I don't even know how long is a boxing <laughs> round. What is it? Three minutes? So that'd be forty five minutes in a boxing what? round. Yes, I'm going to exactly. assume he knocked him out. Four Obviously periods. There are four periods Obviously. in every boxing match. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you get points by getting goals and getting assists. <laughs> After further review, <laughs> stands. After further review, the knockout the boxer stands. Boxer is ordered one point. Yes. Play ball. One one point unit, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, one point unit. <laughs> Play ball. So, Len, what do you think? I don't know what it is, but something ridiculous. I'm sure it's seconds. Let's see. You, you, you count to ten to get knocked out, right? I don't know. Probably something ridiculously short. Let's say. No, Uh, 16 seconds, 16 seconds, 16 seconds. That's the bar. Oh, goodness. All right. So I have vague memories of this. And I also think it's very short, like obnoxiously short, like Len said. But I don't know. Do they count? Does the time count when you're laying on the mat of part of that three minutes? I don't know the rule on that. Because I want to say yeah, was, that's true. Because the guy has to go to his corner, doesn't he? He has to at first. They don't start counting until the guy goes to the corner, and then I'm not sure. I don't think they had to count for this one. I think this one was like literally boom, and he's dead. You know? It's <laughs> obvious that we are all <laughs> boxing experts. Yes, I, I'm going to go a little bit lower to give some real pressure on on Katie. I'm going to say uh, I think the number is different than this, but I'm going to say nine seconds. Holy smoke! Yeah. I think it's a different number, but uh, but that's what I'm going to say for the for the purposes of our small wager. All right, Katie, you got 16 right. seconds and nine seconds. What are you thinking? I mean, well, if it's in seconds, I'm not sure it's like you know 525,600 minutes or anything like that. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Let's see. I will go with. I mean, I would think that you would have to punch somebody a couple of times, maybe before they would <laughs> be totally knocked out. I don't know. I mean, this was Tyson. He was he was pretty effective back in his day. Let's say like thirty-one seconds. Thirty-one seconds. Wow. So she he almost gave Len a lot of room. 
You could have just said 17. Yep. That's <laughs> it's true. Definitely. Katie, you're so nice. Thank that you, is Katie. true. I'm out of practice with the prices. No, right. All right. I think that the real answer is like 11. It's either 11 or 21 is what I think, but we'll see. Well, we're going to find out in a second, but first, of course, we're going to make you wait. So we'll be right back. Well, if you've been with us for any length of time on the show, you know how much we always look for ways to help people start side hustles get into business, but stay in business. And a key to that, by the way, is spending as much time on the things that you love as possible and spending as little time as possible on the stuff that doesn't make you money. And one thing that doesn't make you money is the behind the scenes stuff, operating the business. If you can streamline your business management, life is fantastic. And that's why we like Intuit QuickBooks for all your financial management needs. It saves you time, money, and most of all, all those headaches that if you're in business, you're probably dealing with right now, frankly. Payroll becomes super easy. You can run payroll in less than five minutes with Intuit QuickBooks Payroll. Setup is super easy. You can get hours and pay employees and contractors all in one place. You submit payroll for your whole team right up until the day before payday. Employees can view their pay stubs anytime via the online employee portal. So it even makes it easy for them. It's technology you can trust. You can rest easy knowing that every paycheck's correct. Payroll tax calculations are done for you. They'll file and pay federal and state taxes on your behalf, or you can file them yourself. And if QuickBooks handles them for you, there's a 100% penalty-free guarantee. QuickBooks will resolve filing errors and pay any penalty fees too. Intuit QuickBooks payroll is options for businesses of all sizes from 1 to 150 employees. Get this, you can save an average of $600 annually, 600 bucks a year by paying your employees with Intuit QuickBooks payroll. Check it out today at intuit.me slash SB. That's I-N-T-U-I-T dot M-E slash SB. Len, you've got 16 seconds and Katie was nice enough. What a nice guest giving you a little bit of room. I, there. I know, Katie. I, you get the drumstick for Thanksgiving. <laughs> it was by mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, gee, you've got all that room between nine and 16. You got seven seconds. Those are probably the best seven seconds of your life. <laughs> Feel pretty uh, good thank, about it. Thank you for rounding up. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Katie, 31 seconds and up. It's all yours. The sky's the I, limit. I just went crazy. Well, here we go. Doug. Take it from here, man. Ding, 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 ding. Welcome back to round two. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and you're listening to my boxing-based trivia because I am nothing if not a pugilist. So on this day, it turns out, that's the anniversary of Mike Tyson's first big win in the ring. Before we jump back into your question, though, how about the money facts on this fight of Mike's? Did you know that in 1988, this was the richest fight in history, grossing $70 million? Tyson earned a record $20 million for that. Even Spinks made $13.5 million, even though, as you're about to hear, he didn't stay around too long to earn that $13.5. If a loser, loser makes $13.5 mil, heck, put me in for a few seconds, I'll grab that cash. But enough of free trivia bits for you. Let's swing around to your question. Before the break, I asked you this. How many seconds did it take for Tyson to win his championship fight against Spinks? The answer, 91. 
91 seconds. Yeah, we could have converted that into minutes, but it sounds so much better in seconds, doesn't it? 13.5 million for lasting 91 seconds with Mike Tyson. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, excuse me while I go provoke Tyson using OG's Twitter account. He doesn't need both ears. See ya. I was close with the nine. I knew there was a nine there and a one. I said 21 or 11. See all those numbers like mashed together. There was a nine in there somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) I think it threw all of us off with the how many seconds. We're like, well, obviously it can't be over a minute because it's in seconds. I I thought it was something. I thought it had to be something stupid, crazy to ask a question like that. But yeah, just. 91 is still pretty good. You know what that is? Those are those old Ronda Rousey fights. Those Ronda Rousey <laughs> fights are what? Like nine seconds, 11 seconds. Like some of the, yeah. I remember yep. the first time my daughter and I went and, and, and saw one and people were trying to pay. We were at Buffalo Wild Wings and people were trying to pay before her bout started. I'm like, wait, a minute, we're going to sit here and have another beer. And the person at the table next to me goes, have you ever seen her fight? I'm like, no. He's like, this is going to be over like in two seconds and everybody's going to want. And it was literally, I think, nine, maybe 11. Oh, you should have asked the Ronda Rousey question. That that's what I should OG would have won. I should have been doing yes. with my my side hustle. I should have been training to get knocked out by Ronda Rousey. <laughs> there, there it was. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Hey, let's take out the magnifying glass, guys, and help somebody do better with their money. Today's hotline call comes to you courtesy of magnifymoney.com. When you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney, you know what you find out about all those financial products people use every day, Katie Brewer? No. They find out they're nowhere near the best in class. Over 92% of all the products available online, all ranked at Magnify Money. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. You know, people are, this time of year, everybody is thinking about like Black Friday, shopping, finding the perfect gift, maybe getting a little money off. What if you actually had good financial products in your wallet? Maybe. That's the gift that keeps giving, Len. It's the gift that keeps giving. Get all that streamlined before Black Friday. You don't have to worry about it. Today, it's uh, Jordan. We're throwing it out, too. Say hi, Jordan. Joe, OG, I'm Jordan here, and I have a confession. I actually learned something from your show. That one time, all thanks to Len Penzo, obviously, his sandwich <laughs> survey has us packing cold lunches and stacking a couple of Benji's each year. Since we're able to save some money by not buying hot lunch, I need to know about asset allocation. A bit about me and my family. My wife and I are both 35. We max out our 401ks, individual Roth IRAs, HSA, as well as set money aside to taxable brokerage and have a 520. Oh, gee, don't worry. We take a couple trips each year and have been to Disney a couple of times. So my question, how should I look at asset allocation? I was thinking of taking the most risk, i.e. 100% foreign or a triple X bear fund, in the HSA. Since we do not use it, we're out-of-pocket medical, and this has the greatest tax benefit in the future, followed by slightly less risk in the IRA and then perhaps even less risk in the personal investing account. All in all, making a balanced portfolio. I know you're going to want to know about goals, but all of our short-term goals will be funded from cash flow. We're planning to help the kids out with school expenses, but that's 10 years away from the first one. Retirement? Who knows? Don't think I want to land this plan early, but it's always good to have options. Thanks for listening. I'm off to the Sizzler. It's one of those combo planners with great leftovers for school lunch. Glad you guys continue making an entertaining podcast, and thanks for all you do. Take care. Mmm, Sizzler. Thanks for the question, Jordan. And of course, Len, he learned from your sandwich survey. The Gosh, only time. Isn't that amazing? Wow. I made a difference. I made a difference. 
It's you a, paid that somebody. guy to call in. Come on, Lynn, admit it. That's <laughs> exactly what happened. He's oh like, hey, gosh. can you call and make me look good? Because I'm about to hit Joe up for a raise. Led's gonna say, Led's gonna say, hey Joe, my stretch goal is to have uh, a caller mention me. Oh look, one did today. So weird. That's awesome. You get th- that's awesome. You get thirty percent more money, Len. All yes. right. So so we got the goals. Thanks, by the way, Jordan. And you obviously start with the end in mind. So the goals, and then uh, work backwards. What do you think, Len? What should he do? You know, I thought it was a real interesting question, actually. But I'm kind of with them. I think the safest investments I'd put in the HSA, I would put the riskiest investments in the 401k. And then the other two, I guess you'd put uh, maybe the next safest right below the HSA and safe. I'd put the Roth IRA and then the, uh, I don't know, the taxable brokerage stuff. I'd put Midland. I'd said Midlands in the middle. Uh, How come? Because, well, I think the riskiest stuff in the 401k, because look, it's before taxes, right? Let's just say your 401k, for whatever reason, did really, 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 really poorly. You know, if you're going to take the losses, take the losses there. That way you don't get taxed on all that income that you were thrown into the 401k in the first place, as opposed to the Roth, for example, where you're already taxed, right? So you want to try and maintain that, those earnings as high as possible because you're not going to get taxed on them again. So that's my theory. Len's like, great, I get to go before the CFPs. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. <laughs> I'm sure that's what you're thinking the whole time. I got two certified financial planners sitting behind me. You asked me first. Thanks. Katie, what are you thinking? Like Len's strategy? You know, it's funny because I, when I talk about where you should put assets, I usually look at more of is the asset class heavily generating ordinary income or dividends which is not necessarily risky versus less risky. You're looking right? at tax implications. Yeah. I mean, I usually look more at tax implications rather than like, should it be more risky being in this particular one versus this? Because if you've got stuff in your personal brokerage account and you're putting it into something, say you've got like the best international fund possible and it's like a little bit actively managed, it might be spitting off more capital gains and or more income than normal. So maybe you don't want that in your your taxable brokerage account. Maybe you want that in your 401k or your HSA or something like that um, that's more sheltered from taxes. So, I mean, I'm, <laughs> this is such a non-answer, but I kind of tend to look at it more from a, okay, if you're, if you're in a taxable account, you probably don't want to put high yield bond funds in there. You probably want to put municipal funds in there. You might want to have ETFs instead of mutual funds, just because there are a lot of mutual funds that kick off capital gains just because they have to. That's the way that they're designed. So I kind of look at it more from a, a taxable implication of the of that asset class versus just a very general, like, should you put the most risky stuff in this? I like that though, because that's the piece of the puzzle people don't look at enough. People don't pay any attention to the taxability of investments when they're choosing their asset allocation. Like it was generally, when I was a financial planner, it was like the first thing you'd see. People had this garden need to be weeded and and yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there. OG, what do you think? I like both of these answers in conjunction with one another, although I'm going to be the exact opposite of Len. <laughs> I love your answer, Len. I'm just going to be the exact opposite of you. Okay. <laughs> um, not really the exact opposite, but I hadn't actually thought of it in the way that you did about you've already been taxed on this money, therefore you want it to stay there. You know, you don't want to put you put 100 grand in over your lifetime. It better be worth at least 100 when you take it out because, you know, otherwise you're losing money that way. I hadn't thought about that. 
I guess I have a little bit more faith in the future. So I would, I would have the thing that I'm never going to pay taxes on again, whether it's my HSA or my Roth to have the thing that has a higher likelihood of appreciation. So that might be my real estate stuff or my small cap stuff. If I had a long time horizon only for the perspective of, you know, if, if things go the way they're supposed to go, then those are the areas that will probably see the highest amount of growth over the next 40 or 50 years. And maybe beyond, you know, if I'm going to be leaving a legacy to family members and stuff like that, this is the money that nobody ever has to pay taxes on again. So I might as well have it double as fast as possible. And then like Katie said, I think also paying attention to what the assets are producing in terms of income, whether it's uh, taxable or tax-free or where it's going to be reported if it's dividends or interest or if there's capital gains and kind of be just cognizant of where you fall in your tax bracket and stuff like that. You know, you may find out that a little bit of capital gains, no big deal, you know, or you're in a low enough income that dividends don't matter, in which case, you know, you can play with that a little bit. But um, overall, it's a really great idea to think about all of the implications about where you put money because, you know, like you said, Joe, before, too many times people just throw money in, right? We just, I'm going to have my target date fund here, my target date fund there, my target date fund there, my target date fund there. Great. Boom. I'm diversified. I have five different target date funds from five different companies. Oh, and I've changed the years. I made this one 2035. That one's 2040. That one's 2045. Look, I'm amazing. Without spending any time, like just another 10 minutes of thought would lead you through this, you know, discussion like we just had. So I'm impressed that Jordan's taking the time to think about it and uh, go from there. Are you saying you disagree with diversifying your 2010 through 2045 target date funds? Vehemently. <laughs> I vehemently disagree with diversification of target date funds. Right. I have three target date funds, one from Fidelity, one from Vanguard, one from T. Rowe Price. I'm diversified. Yes, there. I'm, all, I'm 100% diversified. It's fantastic. I, I own six of the same thing. In three different accounts from three different families. Thanks for the question, Jordan. See how easy that is? You got a question. Here's what you do. Pick up your phone or go to your computer. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Press the button and just start talking. And see, just like Jordan, you can have Len and Katie and OG answer your question too. That's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks a ton for playing. Uh, let's start off with our guest of honor, Katie, what's happening at Your Richest Life Planning? What do you got going on right now? Yeah, well, actually, we were talking about job opportunities and negotiation and stuff like that. And we just did a blog post in October. So it's fairly new about if you should accept a new job opportunity and kind of what to evaluate. This is more like if people are trying to throw money at you and, you know, they're like, hey, we heard you're really good. Uh, you should you should consider this job and you might have to move for it. It's just kind of about what to actually look into if you're lucky enough to have something like that happen. Awesome. And we'll link to that in our show notes at stackybedjamins.com. Len, what's coming up at uh, lenpenzo.com? Well, it is the season where people start asking for money, fan, friends and family. I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys. Is but it I tis the season for begging? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> but I share three stories. These are true stories of friends and family asking for money and how they were handled how and what happened. And sometimes they didn't work out so good and sometimes they worked out okay. So it's just kind of interesting real life uh, with yours truly and people asking me for money. 
I couldn't imagine asking Len Penzo for money. <laughs> like, even if I needed money, I'd be like, I can't ask him. He's got all and his- names have been changed and names have been changed, Joe. He's got all his money buried <laughs> in the backyard. And, and I'm sure every 30 days there's going to be like a horse head in my bed. <laughs> <laughs> like the Godfather. Like, what's that? How oh, Len wants his money back. Gotta, gotta take care of that. Oh, gee, what are you doing? Well, besides recording next Monday and Wednesday, what do you got coming up this this pre-Thanksgiving? <laughs> we, we had a week off, I thought. No, this pre-Thanksgiving kidding. weekend, what are you going to do? Oh, the outlaws are in town. Uh, sorry, in-laws are in town and um, kids have the week off. So we do our normal week stuff. We'll go to the Arboretum because I'll have the Christmas stuff going on, which is super cool. Kind of a lay low week, uh, copious amounts of red wine. Other than that, just racing toward the end of the year. It's hard to believe that uh, freaking year's almost over, huh? It's crazy. It is just absolutely nuts. I'm sitting here in Detroit with a ton of snow on the ground. I was out shoveling today. Man. Yeah. Well, happy November. I know. <laughs> happy you don't July. Own a snowblower? Yeah, you no, don't own a snowblower, Joe? I do not. You don't have minions that go out and just shovel your snow for you? I mean, I figured by now. Sadly, my minions have escaped. One is in Japan and the other one's in Seattle. So they have they have left the building. And now Cheryl calls me the minion. So I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, it's weird. All right, guys, that's going to do it for today. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. Uh, Doug, you've got it from here. Time for me to say the scariest words in podcasting. What should we have learned today, Doug? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines. While we preach to start with the end in mind, that doesn't mean you should ask for a salary $5 higher than your budget, research how much your position is worth, and go into your salary negotiations with knowledge and practical reasons why you deserve more cash. But the big takeaway Don't start an online fight through OG's Twitter account. Not only did he reveal who I was, but he gave Mike my address, too. Think he'll really come over? Special thanks to the ladies from Bitches Get Riches. That's fun to say. You'll find more of their amazing blog at BitchesGetRiches.com or through our show notes at Stacking Benjamins. Thanks to Sarah Lee Kane for helping read Kitty's Bitches Get Riches piece. You'll find Sarah at the Beyond the Dollar podcast. Len Penzo appears courtesy of LenPenzo.com and ThePersistentItch.com. And, of course, big thanks to Katie Brewer, CFP, for saving the show today. Want to find her? Head to YourRichestLifePlanning.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. 
And another special thanks to Joe's mom, who so kindly pointed out that I've been tweeting at the wrong Mike Tyson this whole time. So, uh, uh, Mike from Nova Scotia, sorry for all the mean comments today, dude. And good luck on that Cal test. You're going to nail it, I'm sure. The people responsible for this show have been sacked. I'm going to the prices right on December 2nd or 3rd. Don't know which day. Are you really? Yep. Now that, you've watched the, now that you've watched the thing and you uh, can memorize all the answers. Yeah, right. No, I'm going with my buddy. He's going to get on. He's got the personality. I'm not going to. I'll just be an audience member. They said, by the way, people don't do the Chelsea Brennan technique often enough. They don't do the dollar hire. Uh, statistics show that people don't do that enough. Like people do really crappy bidding. But it's mostly, I think, because the cameras are on and they're not, you know, but it's just yeah, they're of, not thinking. Everybody's yeah. just kind of freaking out because they're on TV. Yeah. When's it going to be uh, aired? I don't know. I've just there? got the, the and I haven't the day isn't solidified. I'm waiting for my buddy to I got tickets for either the second or the third. So I'm, I'm waiting for him to choose the day. So I don't know when it's I'll let you know. Have you even thought about what you're going to say if you get on? I'm not getting, I'm, I don't have the personality to get on this. My buddy, he is getting, he is, he's got the personality. He is going to get on. Here's he what, is going to get on. Are you trying to ask him if he'll wear like a stacking Benjamin? That's uh, what I was going to ask. Beanie and a stacking Benjamin's <laughs> hat. And have a you know what? Hat. I'll wear it. I'll wear my stacking Benjamin shirt. I'll give you a hundred bucks. If, if, <laughs> if, if you, when you get 99. on, when you We're get on, a hundred snackaroos, when you get on, and they say, so Len, what do you do? Say, I'm an award-winning blogger. I've got this blog, lenpenzo.com, and I'm on the Stacking Benjamins podcast. <laughs> if you say, I will wear the Stacking no. Benjamins. The only question is, which I, I think I'm going to wear the Bull and Bear Stacking Benjamins shirt because I think it'll show up better on. I'm not getting on TV, but if <laughs> I did. You're getting on TV. It's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to email Drew Carey. He was a Marine. I'm going to tell him happy birthday. Uh, my boy's going to be in the audience. Pick him. Think sure I will wear the stacking, stacking Benjamin's bull and bear shirt to, think, to the, uh, think, to the po- think positive thoughts. <laughs> okay. think, think positive thoughts. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees 
are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy federal website, resources like best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.